Let your license podcast, and today is interviewing with Ivy Austin. Ivy Austin is a writer, producer, director, counselor, wife, mother, and a jack of all trades. And she's also one of our favorite dancers in one of our favorite movies, which we'll discuss later. And of course, we have Vicky Ray here and myself, Kishago. So, hello, Ivy. Thank you for talking to the Literary License Podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is that where I am? Thank you for the really great welcome. Yes, um, yes, I'd like you all to believe that I'm sitting here with my uh, my two long braids and and thick nerdy glasses. Well, get the big luau sticks. Yeah, and my right and right and my grass. <laughs> yep, so picture it. <laughs> Well, I thought what we do is take you back to the beginning of your career. And um, where were you born and raised? I was born in Brooklyn, but for the first five years, I was on the road with my parents. I come from a musical, from musical. That's a percussionist, stuff. isn't he? Yes. Oh, you, boy, you have all the stuff, don't you? <laughs> it's a little scary, right? I'm nosy. <laughs> Uh, so my my father, percussionist, was traveling around with shows at the time, and when I was born, my mother whisked me away. So so the myth is, and uh, we joined him on the road, and and I I grew up uh, hanging around theaters uh, during flower drum song, My Fair Lady, and How to Succeed in Business. So that was my those were my kindergarten years or my, my years. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then we went back to Brooklyn, uh, and settled for a while. And then, um, things were looking up and we moved to Queens. So <laughs> that's, that's where I spent most of my childhood actually in Queens, in Rigo Park, Queens. When did you um, become interested in musical theater and decided this is the path that you would want to go down and, and well, I guess that's just saying theater, not just musical theater, because you have done um, stage acting as well. Well, I don't want to say serious acting because musical theater is actually a lot harder sometimes than the regular stage theater acting. So when do you get interested in acting in general? Well, I, I don't know that I thought about it much it was just always there right in front of me when when I just I mean that as you said that was my my playground there weren't many kids um on traveling around with the shows and that's what I was living and breathing just musical theater learning uh, you know all the lyrics to um 
to, as I said, to Flower Drum and to, and to my fair lady and um, sitting in front of, you know, makeup mirrors, fantasizing um, and- Doing little girl stuff, probably, just like yeah. all that stuff we do. Birch, I believe she's a wasn't she a big influence in oh yes I mean she was she became a major influence when I was about um 20. She was a director people yes um yeah. and she directed the original Greece on Broadway didn't she mm -hmm. oh. and Okay. We first met uh, when I, so we really fast forwarded here. Um, and, um, <laughs> we can go. Oh, listen, what's up for days? Um, <laughs> we, we met uh, when I was auditioning for the Broadway company of they're playing our song, and I was just finishing up college, and they were auditioning for the three voices of Sonia Walsk, and I had you know, put on that, um, I was going to call it the freshman 25 pounds, but it was a freshman, sophomore, junior and senior 25. So it was a little, a little fluffy, as we say in our family. And um, I went to the audition and uh, she called me up to the table. I was down to the, you know, last couple of people. She called me up and she said, lose the weight, you know, and I'll see you the next time. And I did, and uh, several months later, they held auditions for the first national company if they're playing our song, and she hired me. Very good. Yep. So you were a, you were a Sonnette. I was, I was. Yay. Yeah, we had a great time. I mean, I, I, mean I, I stayed out on the road with that show for about a year and a half. Wow. Um, I have to sit there and say they're playing our song. I am. I was a huge Neil Simon fan anyway, but yeah. they're playing our song turned me into a huge Carol Bear Sager fan. Ever since then, I am. I've read her. She read. She wrote every song that she's ever written. I have a copy of it. I got a, a playlist with every song that I can find with her in it. I got her. Her albums are simply fantastic. Her three albums that she came out with. And also, um, she even wrote a book, a couple of books of fiction, which I have. <laughs> I read. But yeah, so to de to deal with that yeah, music is exciting. fantastic. Yeah, indeed, really, really exciting. Um, and uh, it's funny. I uh, well, we'll we'll touch on this later. You know, you said I should use the uh, the song "Working It Out," uh, <laughs> my theme song for my for my next chapter. But gotta wait for it. <laughs> now. Um... I have to say, being a Sonnet on um, their playing her song has to, be, I think it's probably more exciting than being one of the three guys because the female vocals for those have a lot more fun with their music than they have. We did have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm trying to think the guys, yeah, they weren't as flashy as as we were. And, you know, although I don't like to use the um, that terrible word, uh, A-G-E, um, we, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, was the 40th anniversary of the show. Mm 
and I was thrilled to be in the Actors Fund performance on Broadway one night only to um, to sing again that was a hoot and I I just I'd forgotten how much fun it was to be one of the voices I also have to sit there and say it must be quite interesting because you who was in your who was in the travel show who played the two leads in the on tour Okay, uh, start out with a Victor Garber and Ellen Green. Wow, fantastic! Ellen Green, she's legend, isn't she? Yep, yep, yep. We had some good times, <laughs> and I was just a young little thing. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, I mean, this is a little, uh, just a little tidbit here. The these production, uh, the production contracts that existed way back when, you know, paid handsomely, and so all of us could really save a lot of money. So I was able to squirrel away a lot of dough um, because of that tour. And that gave me the ability then to stay in New York uh, and not have to go out on the road as a lot of people had to do. Had to do, yeah. So that was, um, you know, I owe a lot to that production. charge of ragdoll that you took down the road or was it raggedy that went to the ussr pepper yeah oh yeah oh yeah we yes she was like my fairy godmother i mean she uh she brought me into so many amazing projects but yes we spent three years together working on raggedy ann uh, it started as it was called Raggedy Ann and Andy, then it was called Rag Dolly, and then finally when it, it did get to Broadway three years later, it was Raggedy Ann. But yes, we went through thick and thin together. Uh, it was an experience going to do theater in the USSR, I imagine. It was amazing. It was totally amazing. Hey, I'm lost. Where are we? Chapter two. Page five. Reproduction. Reproduction. I mean, Patricia Birch, um, you know, I was going to wait, but we might as well get to Greece too. 
Um, now, what I found interesting about Grease 2, it kind of reminded me of the Music Man movie. And the reason why I say that is it's probably one of the only movie musicals where you have your backing dancers all the way through the movie. So, because normally what you have in a movie is a musical is that you get big musical number and out comes all these people you haven't seen at all. And then they disappear. Next musical number and all these people come out that you never seen before. But what Grease 2 does, um, basically, it just, it keeps, it's almost like, it's like watching a theater group coming out and mm -hmm. everyone's doing their parts. And it has that consistency that so many musicals really don't have. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, I mean, even Greece, even the first Greece doesn't have that. It's like, you know, they have summer nights comes out and you see all these people that you're never going to see again. And then you're the one I want comes out and you see all these people you're never going to see again in Greece lightning and so far, so on and so forth. But Greece too had that huge, fantastic version of the stage. And that's where I first noticed you playing um, geeky girl or Francine. So nerd how did girl. that come around? Nerd girl. She likes nerd, nerd, nerd girl. girl. Excuse me, nerd oh, girl. Sorry, nerd girl. All of my research is nerd girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's um that's all Pat that's Pat's doing because she would hire people that she knew would come through for her and really add a whole other flavor not just do the dancing obviously I was not hired for my ballet technique okay but um you know she just let everybody do their thing which is which well, is looks like I, we're having a good time so clearly oh yeah we had we had a riot but i mean that's um well i'll tell you a little something about how i i wound up uh as a dancer on the film um I don't know if this was Hollywood politics or what, it probably was, but um, the the powers that be were told that uh, Didi Khan uh, may or may not come back and play Frenchie. So uh, Pat had me come out uh, to Paramount to screen test for Frenchie. So that's, uh, wow. so that's how I, yes, that was my, my big my first big hollywood screen test and uh, oh goodness i wish Is i that intimidating i was i had no idea you know i was a theater kid from new york i mean this was a wild thing but you know they did me up with the red wig and um and my pink ladies jacket and i did my thing um, and then as it turned out, she did come back and and do Grease 2. And I have to say, she is just the loveliest, loveliest person. And anyway, I think Pat was trying to find a place for me in the film. And so there you have it. And the whole nerd girl thing was, um, I don't know, maybe that's how I felt at that point in my life. Um, I didn't feel very glamorous. I was always felt like the, um, you know, I mean, if you looked at a, sit, a sitcom, like the, the kooky next door neighbor or the, you know, the goofy, the goofy friend. And we, uh, we were on the set and, um, you know, she asked us to think about image and I went straight to the prop truck and I asked the guy if he happened to have a pair of uh, nerdy looking glasses. <laughs> and uh, he brought out a box of, of stuff 
I picked a pair. I, um, as you know, I had a very long, long hair at the time. I put my hair in braids and, and that was the beginning of my little, my little character. I had to say it's phenomenal because it's like, you know, I do spend a lot of time spotting you because it's, it's just made, plus you have that continuity. But I think what I found the most interesting about your character in Greece too, is that you kept in character all the time. Oh. Which is, you know, and I mean, if you don't, if and if you know anything about film shoots, it's like nothing is set in, you know, it's not done in, you know, subsequent order or anything like this. You get a little bit here, a little bit there, camera shot here, camera shot there, reset here, and it's. But you were able to keep in basically that character all the way through, which is a testament to, you know, uh, you know, fantastic, you know, character acting. Because, well, you know, that's really kind. I, I, you know, I, I was. I was always an actress. I started taking acting lessons, believe it or not, when I was like eight or nine. I my my mother uh, uh, enrolled me in uh, the American Academy for Dramatic Arts Kids School, and then after that, I went to the Neighborhood Playhouse Kids School, uh, Kids Acting School, and then I went to the High School of Performing Arts, where I was in the drama department. So that that was what I what I did. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if you gave me something, I would run with it. Plus, I'm a bit of a ham, so you know you just <laughs> that doesn't hurt. I throw in that part, maybe a little bit of a camera hog. I don't know. But <laughs> um, then you worked with those Sid Caesar and Tab Hunter. That had to be really cool. You know the older set was on that that film. connie stevens as well Connie stevens yeah oh yeah i was just a gog i i i mean we didn't you know they did a lot of the principal photography of course separately and then just brought in the rest of us when it was a big musical number but that was i, I was completely starstruck you know sid caesar mm -hmm. eve arden i mean it was yes, eve arden my goodness yeah mm -hmm. did um now I've read outside that Greece too had a lot of problems behind the scenes sort of thing with a lot of like rewriting and all you know and a lot of stuff because there seemed to be a lot of people on a lot of the business side of it trying to interfere with what was already there. Did um, Patricia Birch have? I mean, she seemed to manage everything very very well, which must have been very difficult because it seems like there's a lot of a lot of chefs involved in in the production of it. You know, I wish I had um, a real answer for that. There's a, you know, I, I, I was very, I was distant from all of that. I didn't, uh -huh. um, I was just, I was there for four months, day in and day out, but just showing up and ready to dance and ready to sing. And um, it was just the greatest thing going. And I, I really, and I was, um, somewhat naive and, and really not tuned in to to what may or may not have been going on. But I do know that it was a really big deal for yeah. a woman to be directing uh, yeah. as as big a film as that was. I have to sit there and say, I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal piece. I mean, the way that it's filmed and the way it's put together. And I said before, the big production numbers, 
And unlike its predecessor or a lot of musicals in the 70s and what we see in the 80s really didn't have all that production that was going on. It said before the great big production dance numbers and everything that went through through with that. And I think that, you know, Patricia Birch did a fantastic job when you consider that, you know, you got this multi-million pound movie that's made, you know, to become like this monster hit. And then it's like, you know, almost an eyes are out before it even started sort of thing. And, but she still stuck to it. And from what you're saying, it sounds like it's quite, a, you have to be quite a master to be dealing with all that. And, but yet don't let any of the staff, not, don't let any of your cast, just make sure they're just doing their job and make sure that it doesn't spill over to anything. I'm so. sure that, um, that other people were more in the know, like Michelle Pfeiffer or Maxwell Caulfield, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure, um, they were privy to things, but I'll, I'll never know. I'll never know. And yeah. frankly, I'm, I'm not even sure who had the final cut um, mm. of the film, you know, it was all, I remember seeing it uh, in, in, uh, at a screening and uh, I, you know, it was a completely different thing. I mean, when you're there for four months and you're involved <laughs> in every little thing and then you see what finally, winds up on the screen it's shocking hmm. well i remember dinah madoff saying that when she did because she won a tony award for you you ought to be in pictures and then she did the film version of it and she said that it's amazing that when something gets cut together that that turns she's like it's almost like it's not even the stage show anymore even though it's the same lines and everything like that so you just never know what's going to happen in the final cut sort of thing yeah it's so. almost unrecognizable hmm. Did you get any time this, I was quite interesting. Did you get any time to talk to Lorna Luff? Because she's also a big theater person as well. Yeah. yeah. Just briefly, just briefly. I think um, as again, you know, again, um, you know, the principles were really oh, okay. in a very different category. So, but everybody was lovely and, and <laughs> we had a good time, um, but no, we didn't really get to know each other. Okay, because I didn't know if you like, you know, after Greece too, because we, because you're both, you know, state New York stage, and I didn't know if there was yeah. any chances that you would bump around or run into each other sort of thing, because it's kind of a, New York's kind of a big place, but it's also quite a small place at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of this... yeah but then again, um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, from from the introduction, the lovely introduction you gave me, you know, I, I kind of didn't stay in one big and shiny melting your heart of stone i'd love to get you on a slow to china all to myself with nobody else yes all to myself alone one field long enough i mean i kept moving around all throughout my career so um you definitely diverse there's no <laughs> doubt about that <laughs> right, we're done just about everything so <laughs> right we decided we were going to call me eclectic right eclectic eclectic <laughs> yes you got a little bit of this and a little bit of that yeah but that's you know that's that's also um uh i i never wanted to feel stagnant and I, I never wanted I, I couldn't bear that feeling of 
uh, not working for even a short period of time. So I thought, okay, let me find another hat and, and, and put that one on and, and I'll try this. And so I've been, uh, for better or worse, very adventurous. Now you also did a national tour of the musical Hair. How was that? Oh, that was actually how I got my equity card. That was a big deal. I was actually, um, I was in college. I was going to Colgate, studying a whole other, I was studying biology there. I had finished up performing arts and I thought, okay, I, ha I think I have to do something else for a while, even though I know I'm going into show business. So I was, it was, I guess the end of freshman year was approaching and I had done um, a production of Hair in summer theater uh, at Gateway Playhouse on Long Island. And a lot of people in New York start their careers at Gateway Playhouse, uh, the musical theater people. So I had played Chrissy saying, I met a boy called Frank Mills and before the end of this, my, my semester, a friend of mine who had been in the company called and said, I'm, I'm on the road with this, um, this tour. It was a bus and truck company. Do they have bus and trucks anymore? But that's what we <laughs> call them. Uh, I'm on a bus and truck of hair and uh, the girl playing Chrissy is leaving. And uh, I told him about you and can you, can you come into the city and audition? And I thought, oh my God, I'm, you know, five hours north. Um, okay, I'll be there. And uh, I, I don't remember exactly how it all transpired, but I, I got into the city, I auditioned. And as soon as my semester was over, I joined the cast. And I always feel like I have to say, and no, I didn't take my clothes off. Uh, <laughs> getting naked was optional so uh, <laughs> how did um i kind of wondered did, um what cities did he go through was it like the main cities or did he hit like the small cities in the midwest or you know honestly the only the only uh theater i remember playing was somewhere in a mall in New Jersey. I swear I have no idea where it went. New Jersey just stuck out in your head. Right, because I, yeah. I have the program somewhere. I, and I, you know, it kind of surfaces from time mm -hmm. to time in, in one of those piles of programs. So I know I did it in New Jersey, but for the life of me, I couldn't tell you where I was, but mm -hmm. uh, it, it couldn't have gone very far it was just a summer tour and we had that bus and that truck so yeah. uh, i kind of because i was just kind of wondering like if you went to the midwest i wonder how they reacted you know outside the outside of the um nudity side of thing there are some quite a heavy little sub i mean hair is quite a on the outskirts it seems like a quite a light little show but there's a lot of heavy you know stuff that goes on during hair yeah. I mean, even 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 frank mills the song that you sing is quite a heavy little song it's a beautiful story written song yeah but but it's quite a hard-hitting song at the same time sort oh of agreed um and also i should mention this this company had a couple of the the original broadway people and you know they just 
I guess loved staying with the show. And uh, anyway, it was a very, very interesting way to get my professional theater start um, or my, equ you know, equity card. And um, exciting though, Valpo. yeah. And then I went back to school and uh, and I, I finished uh, college and then um, they're playing our song was my my first audition you know out of the gate after i had finished my degree i'm wild again beguiled again a simpering whimpering child again bewitched bothered Until I could sleep where I shouldn't sleep, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, am I? Lost my heart, but what of it? My mistake, I agree. He's a lad. to work with the Lincoln Center as a member of the New York City Opera. How was that different from doing um, musicals? Was there any difference or? <gasps> was so different. Uh, first of all, I, I, it's like being dropped into a completely different world. Uh, Broadway people, I guess, you know, you hear about a lot of crossover artists and crossover musicals, but opera, um, opera, the opera world is, uh, extremely different in terms of not only the training, but the way, well, things have structure. changed. The structure that, um, it's funny, uh, when we would get hired to do musicals, you'd, you wouldn't necessarily have the, uh, the script and the score until you were going to start rehearsing. So you'd show up, you'd give you everything, you'd have a few weeks and you learn it, you do it, you rehearse it over and over and over again. And uh, and and then you open a show. And so I had to learn uh, in opera, people prepare for roles for, for years. You know, you show up ready to sing that role and it probably sounds so silly, um, you know, to be, uh, you know, explaining this, it's probably like a duh um, moment for a lot of people, but coming from musical theater, it was definitely um, a big deal. Uh, not that I 
put in years of preparation to sing the role of the pink sheep in Candide, but certainly I, um, I did a lot of prep for Sweeney Todd. Oh gosh, that's right. Yeah. Sweeney Todd is outrageously fun. <laughs> that was that was just an amazing opportunity. And you uh, got to sing some choice words there as well. <laughs> yes, I did I did made the most of those right? <laughs> but yeah, the opera world was very. Um, it was a real eye opener for me, and and plus. Um, once you're on the roster, uh, and and I was actually there for eight seasons, and and uh, wow, wound up. Um, it, it was during the Beverly Sills years, and there uh, the the company uh, was receiving a lot of funding to do Broadway revivals. So uh, I was there for eight out of those ten years, and. Um, there were very few Broadway people that had come in and we were just kind of this odd little group. So I, I got great opportunities and uh, I, so I was kind of learning, learning about the opera world on my, on my feet and being plugged into a lot of different productions. Plus, if you're in the company, you can go sit in the viewing room and see as many operas as as you like so that was where I got my opera education well it's quite interesting also because some of the two of the shows that you mentioned are these kind of weird hybrids of musical opera like Candide I mean it's one of the most difficult musicals they ever perform I mean it's Leonard Bernstein Glitter and Be Gay is like one of these songs that's like you know it takes a special someone to even to be able to pull that off without some kind of a operatic training sometimes. And then Sweeney Todd, of course, with all the, I mean, even, I mean, a friend of mine did Sweeney Todd here, my ex did. Um, and I just remember him, he was in the chorus, but just the chorus part itself, just what, you know, more pie, da, 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 you know, everything that went into that. And he's like, I mean, it's very, very difficult, which yeah. like opera it is. So it probably was like a, a weird a kind of a musical fusion for you as well. So absolutely. But I just I, I loved every minute of it. I really did. One of the shows you did whilst you were there is one of my all time favorite musicals, which is The Music Man. How was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love The Music Man. I don't know what it is. Who doesn't love The Music Man? <laughs> uh, that was a great time. Bob Gunton was the was uh, Harold Hill. Um, I played Ethel Toffelmeyer. Now, Yay. you know, um, <laughs> sort of a gads. <laughs> and uh, I just remember, uh, oh gosh, what happens? There's a little, there's a pageant or a show or where all the, the pick a little, talk a little ladies are, you know, they're uh, doing a little. Cheap, cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what they were talking about now. It's been so long. No, it's pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more. <laughs> that one. But yeah. they're just gossiping. They're That'll gossiping be going about through Marianne. my head now for the next few days, guys. Yeah, they're gossiping about Marion. <laughs> but then there was a librarian. But I think, okay, something comes back to me about the Grecian urn. And then I don't know, there was, we each had some, featured a small talent that was featured okay this is so embarrassing because I don't remember this but somebody out there will know what I'm talking about but then um I remember I had a, a my talent was 
at the uh, the end, I did a slow motion split. So I'm going to demonstrate with my <laughs> center stage like this, very very slow. And when I when my when I think about it now, my everything in my body hurts. And I sat there and you know did a big had a big musical tada. Um, I I don't know how I did it. Even in my better years and younger years, I could never do that. No matter how limber I was, that was not, I think you have special DNA to be able to do splits. <laughs> also, you know, if there's a full orchestra and a full cast, you know, and 2,000 people sitting out there and, you know, oh, I'm center stage, I'm going to do this now because no I have No matter what, it's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> I'm like a weeping willow my pillow for years and years there ain't no sweet man that's worth the salt of my tears down and down he dragged me like a pain he nagged me for years and years there ain't no sweet man that's worth the Right. right and then you you know you'd uh i guess each magazine or periodical had kind of its own vibe and mm -hmm. had to know the audience uh you know in terms of where you chose to place your your personal ad um anyway i was involved in the workshop of the show and uh the workshop production and uh and the creative team of the show went on to create Friends. Oh, no kidding. Oh, Marta Kaufman then. Yes. Oh, was that who did that? No yes. Kidding. Wow. Okay. How cool Actually, is Actually, it, it, it does make a little bit of sense now. Because I remember I do ha I have the script for at one point where I've actually read the script and stuff like this. So because I, I they did they did like a small soundtrack album that kind of came and went very quickly. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. Now thinking about some of the lines and some of the characters, it does make a little bit of sense then. They, they also did Will and Grace, didn't they, as well? The same team did uh -huh. that as well. Because I remember there's a, there's a humor to it, but there's also like a really darkness that went through it as well, which I quite liked about Personals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. it, uh, I guess it probably was ahead of its time. Um, and then it moved on to the Minetta Lane, I believe. I wasn't able to participate, uh -huh. I think, because... And that that killed me. Um, I think we had another workshop, a Raggedy Ann scheduled up in Albany. I'm gonna because when I think about the timeline of that, uh, we kept going up to Albany every few months to the theater up there, and there would be another another draft of the script, and new songs would come in and there were some cast changes and we just kept going every few months developing that show. And obviously that was an opportunity that I was not gonna pass up. And so when when Raggedy Ann called, I I went. So I had to uh, to pass on the, the next production, mm. sadly. Bummer. I know. <laughs> I also want, um, you also did some work with Melissa Manchester as well, which kind of brings you back to this Carol Bayer Sager again. 
Oh, yeah. You know, when I think about um, uh, how many, how many productions of things I did with uh, just the, the, the people that I got to work with, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. Cause you know, at you, you know, the years go on and, and uh, in show business, you always feel like, oh, I'm only as good as the, you know, the show I'm in now, or I'm only as good as my, my last job, you know, and, uh, and I don't ordinarily sit around and um, kind of honor all all of those those pieces that do make up do make up a career right what about uh you shared stage with uh i believe it was soledad o'brien and lily tomlin oh in your face new york i think it was at symphonies live at symphony space yes well i'll give you a little background to that um yes one of my reinventions uh was i got involved with um, a group of people on the Upper West Side of New York. We did a uh, we did political satire, although I think we called it a political cabaret because when you call something cabaret, you are allowed to sing all the songs without, you know, without them um, paying for uh, the music library. rights. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so, okay, so when I see you, Vicky, doing a cabaret. If I'm out there doing a cabaret, I can sing everything I want. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, Symphony Space had kind of been my, my um, a really comfortable, kind of my performance gym on the Upper West Side for so many years. I was involved in so many things there. And um, Isaiah Sheffer, who was the artistic director, uh, got together with another writer-producer, Martin Sage, and I was asked to be involved with this um, political cabaret uh, that they were going to call the Thalia Follies to do in the Thalia Theater, it's hard to say, Thalia Theater at Symphony Space. And um, we did this for, uh, I think, like nine seasons. Wow. Um, several times a year uh, our little cast of characters would get together and we would do sketch comedy and uh, parodies and uh, that's where I, I was given an opportunity to start writing comedy lyrics and uh, so that that was a, a that was a blast to just come back originally we I think we started doing like five five times a year and it would run for a week or two and then we'd regroup and you know meet at the neighborhood diner and talk about what we were going to do next and anyway uh years later martin uh martin sage uh decided to do uh a show similar to that and he called it in your face new york and i and we did start doing that at i guess we did at symphony space if that's what it says there we did it i believe space. it says it started at symphony space and then uh we went to uh we did it in brooklyn and um uh at saint anne's 
Uh, and then he went on to do the show um, at a point I was no longer involved with it. And then he did it, uh, I believe, at Merkin Hall. But same kind of thing, all sketch comedy and uh, crazy lyrics and just good times. Lily Tomlin. <laughs> yes, Lily Tomlin. Um, yeah, she was pretty amazing. And and Solid Dad was great to work with everybody. of Greece. There was a reunion in England, uh, in London called Cool Rider. Yeah, that um, another group of, of um, writers, producers, directors, actors, uh, put together a concert version. Uh, in, oh, cool. I, I'm, I don't know if I have my years straight. Was that maybe that was the 30th anniversary? Um, I believe it was in the 2000s, I believe, but I could be wrong. It was at the Duchess Theater, I remember that. Yes, yes. And um, gosh, I don't even know how I, somebody contacted I was just me. really surprised about that because I did never heard about that. And I started reading about it. And then I saw that in London, you had a reunion and it was called Full Rider. And it was, it, you, you did say it was like the, uh, it was just all the the songs. I believe it. What you call the um, concert version of concert it. Concert version. So I thought, you know, I said to one of my sons, "Hey, honey, want to go to London with mommy for a reunion?" <laughs> Why, sure. <laughs> so um, we we went to see Cool Rider, and I believe it was playing all week. And, uh, you know, I, I went and, and um, you know, of course, everybody was so gracious. And it was uh, at, during that reunion, I maybe I was the only, don't know, I may have been the only uh, visitor from the U.S. And there have been a lot of reunions all over the right. country, which I have not been a part of, but I decided, okay, London, I'm going. And um, anyway, they said, okay, well, please, please, um, come back again uh, to see the show before you go. And meanwhile, I, I was really embraced by the cast. We went out, we partied, we had so much fun together. And then on the last night, my son and I um, made plans to go back and see it one last time. And we stood in the wings. And before I knew it, uh, I mean, we're just watching because I don't think you could get a seat that night. And amazing. They did, they took the curtain call, and all of a sudden, I'm getting the motion to come <laughs> out on stage. 
And I said, you know, like, what? Who me? So <laughs> it happened that my son was wearing these brown glasses. And um, I don't know, I found some rubber bands and I quickly put my hair in braids. Oh my God. <laughs> out like a crazy woman. And they did um, a mashup of all of the songs. How cool is that? And, um, and as I said, embraced me and I, uh, and I was a part of that and got to sing on the stage. That is so cool. It really is. Isn't it, isn't it rewarding that people remember things like that? And that, that you really caught a place in people's hearts with one of your, you know, characters. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's gotta be a great feeling. It really, it does really warm my heart. I mean, it's, it's just been such a, a crazy ride with, with this film and the fan base. They're wonderful people. First I tried cold cereal with milk and it was hip. So hip. Then I tried hot cereal and that was such a trip. Now, you've also done some voiceover work. How did you get into voiceover work? Well, I guess, number one, because I sound kind of funny. So <laughs> that was, <laughs> so they said, hey, come on in. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, originally, I had, uh, I had met some people um, through my dad. Uh, my father, uh, after... He yes, he was on the original team of Sesame Street. He was on the original, the, the very beginnings of Sesame Street, correct? That that's amazing too. That is so cool. Very beginnings, yeah. Wow. And um, of course, I was you know kind of uh, betwixt and between. I mean, too old to really appreciate the show. You know, I had grown out of that, but I was just starting to sing. And um, I was, uh, you know, allowed to be on a couple of recordings. And then uh, as I, you know, got older and started uh, to have a career of my own, I got much more involved in, in singing for the show. And there were very few women uh, that were part of the Muppets at the time. Fran Brill was there, but um, there weren't there weren't a lot of female singers. Maybe there weren't, or there weren't female singers. So uh, they kind of called me the the ringer when they needed a strong voice to come in. And as time went on, uh, I got to sing a lot of characters. Uh, Hammy Swinette, um, 
see you stand by your can the cereal girl stand by your can I, I, that, that was great <laughs> um the best one's mariah cowie <laughs> oh, proud of her. I still don't know how I hit those notes, but no, those, I don't know how you did either. Those are actual notes. I'm I'm sort of amazed right now myself. They have a very diverse range. Well, thanks, but also when you you know when you're younger, of course, you just you go for it. You don't even think about it. Um, and then, of course, my my true love is um, being the voice of Sui Oinker and the Oinker sisters um, with I Got a New Way to Walk. And um, uh, we just uh, uh, so many, so many great Oinker sisters hits. I only wish we had an album of our <laughs> own. But but that was that was sheer joy. The move wave, move wave. <laughs> move wave. <laughs> I have to sit there and say, though, I always said that if I ever was famous, if I was ever going to be an actor, there's two things I would do that would make me live forever. One, work on Sesame Street or The Muppets, because you'll oh. live forever. And to be a voice on a Disney animated feature, you'll live forever. You know what yeah. I mean? No one may, you know, they might not know who the voice is behind that, but you know that you've touched a generation whenever you're on Sesame Street. It's def oh. definitely the voice. You know the voice. But, it's when you're a child. But that's so interesting, though, that, you know, that you did mention that part to be touching people, to be touching a generation. When, I mean, I admit when you're, you're doing the actual work, okay, I'm a singer, I would get called to do a recording session. I'm home, I'm learning my notes, I'm learning the music. I, I was always taught that um, you know, it's like, no shit. When you go into the studio, you know, time is money. You show up, you're ready to, ready to do your thing. And, and um, so I would go into the studio more times than not, just ready, ready to record and, and, uh, and get the job done. And not, you know, who, who's thinking about who's listening? Or who's gonna hear it for the next forty years? That's, I mean, I'm. Uh, that wasn't part of of my my experience. So then, um, over the years, and I have to, um, and I've mentioned this um, to some other folks. I was not credited on a lot of these uh, vocals, uh, vocal appearances, and. Um, it was really uh, with the growth of the internet and and um, Sesame Street fans who really wanted to know who was behind all of these characters that I began to uh, to be credited for for a lot of this material and um, well deserved too. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that, but also to be to then uh be contacted by people who grew up with this and like you were saying keith to realize oh wow i was actually part of somebody's growth somebody's childhood i mean that's that's in everybody's living room it came into mine you know i mean we were watching it we were little well, I, did, I mean, I know that for like certain things for me, for instance, is like um, 
my favorite cartoons are Rocky and Bullwinkle and Underdog, and um, and June Foray as Rocky Squirrel. She's mm. whenever I think of Rocky as part of my childhood, it's just a part of me, and it's you know to the point where it's just like kind of always fills me with a little bit of happiness or whatever, you know, whether it's fractured fairy tales or whatever <laughs> was going on yeah. for all that stuff, you know, Dudley do right. All that sort of stuff. And I mean, it sets me straight for me. I mean, I always, my favorite was, you know, I remember when it came on, I think I was like four came out. Well, 69, wasn't it when it first yeah. started. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, and I remember like, you know, I remember, you know, in school, they would bring the TV out and they would, you know before vhs so you had to watch it live i remember those days <laughs> and i just remember oscar the grouch to this day oscar the grouch is just like part of me so it's like you know yeah. i have such a love for him and so yeah so i always thought that you know when if ever i became famous the, you have to do sesame street because sesame street is it's just part it's just it part really of you. does anybody who's anybody's been on sesame street when you look back yeah you know yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's like comfort food too. I mean, Sesame Street was like comfort food. When you're older, you just oh, I remember that. That's that's sort of like I mean, smelling I'll, a familiar smell. But I'll even put like Janice in the Muppets. I love Janice. I don't know who does her voice, mm-hmm. but I love Janice. <laughs> you know, the happiness. <laughs> and I get, I get I get excited by Janice. I know people get excited by Kermit <laughs> and Piggy, but I'm like, where's Janice? <laughs> <laughs> I was an Elmo girl myself. Yeah. You Big did Elmo's Elmo. World too, the voices for some of Elmo's. Um, no, not um, okay, not specifically, but sometimes I would go in and do a session, and I confess, I I didn't always know where the music was going to wind oh. up. You know, it's just you're, you're hired as a musician. You come in, you do your thing, and then. It's Sometimes you don't know then that that's where it's going to go. Gotcha. Oh, I didn't Correct. Or times when I would come in to do background singing. All right. So I might be there in the studio with two or three other people and they're giving us the harmonies to sing. And we're just, we're listening, you know, we got our headphones on and we're listening to somebody maybe um, doing like a mock lead vocal or just a click track or something and we're just singing our part and then you know years later i would see it on the show i think oh my god that sounds familiar to me i think wait a minute i know that harmony was (laughs) i must have been in that song um so no you don't I, i mean i i just did all sorts of um you know permutations and never quite knowing what was going to wind up where. Now, um, how long did he stay with Sesame Street doing the voices for? Was it was it through up to uh, um, past Jim Henson's death and stuff like that? Or yeah, I was actually there until my my father passed in. Uh, so he passed in uh, in twenty ten. Um, okay. Shortly after that. The show started going through a lot of changes um, in terms of uh, they they scaled the show down mm-hmm. and it it became a it, it you know it was just a lot of things were revised so I haven't yeah. been a part of it for a long time um, the only thing that I was a part of 
was the big anniversary a couple of years ago at the Museum of the Moving Image, where I did get to recreate Hammy Swinette and sing Stand By Your Can. So you got to come, come, come out into the spotlight. Serial <laughs> <a> girl. Yes. <laughs> I did. Um, I was on his show. I worked with him for four years. Um, he had come to, so I guess this was, are we talking years here? Do, I mean, this was, uh, was about the nineties, was it? it was, yeah, I was just, I just had that thought in my head about, about him because I believe it was part of a big, big aspect of your life that oh, yeah. culture, the coffee club orchestra and stuff like that before well I forgot to ask you oh I, I'd love to talk about that because uh that was an amazing part of my life and career and actually I was brought into that by Rob Fisher because Rob and I had worked together prior to that and then he also knew that I was involved in the voiceover world and obviously they were looking for some people who were com comfortable on a microphone and um, so I did audition for uh, for Garrison. Now the crazy thing was at the time my husband and I were ready to go live out in LA for a while. I had this bee in my bonnet that I wanted to you know try LA and be a TV star and a movie star and blah, 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 blah. Live the dream. No, living the dream. <laughs> and our plans all made and here I am uh, singing for Garrison. So this was 1989. Okay. And I knew I was backtracking, but I didn't want to forget it was a big part of your life. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, and I said, and so I was offered the the job uh, to be uh, part of this show that he was he was changing the name from a Prairie Home Companion to the American Radio Company of the Air. It rolls trippingly off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. and, I would have to think about it. And so, <laughs> so I said, well, you know, thank you, but um, we're actually moving to LA next week. Um, and he said, well, that's okay. We'll just bring you back every weekend to do the show. And so that's, um, talk about, you know, just my dumb luck. So we, we moved to LA and, um, the show brought me back to New York every weekend for the first 
two years of it. That's so a I was, lot of traveling. It was a lot of traveling, right. So I would stay on, I don't, I can't remember which time zone I lived on. I must have stayed on New York time and while I was in LA. And anyway, uh, so I, so that was, that was very exotic. And um, uh, so I was part of, uh, of all of the sketches. And then uh, at one point he asked if I would like to sing a feature, a featured song with the big band. And I said, okay, sure. And, <laughs> and that was the beginning of being the, becoming the girl singer with right. the big band. And so I, I was, uh, then the, then the third and fourth years, uh, we traveled all over the place. Um, I can't remember if we went back to the name of Prairie Home Companion at that point, but, um, there was no, that sort of New York vibe thing that seemed to be history. And we're going back to more of the old format of the show. I have to say though, um, for our listeners out there who are not familiar with it, but when Garrison Keeler put this together and this became a radio show, this was a quite iconic. It became an iconic show that people would tune into. And we're talking about a period where, you know, people were kind of tuned into their HBO and their cable and their satellite right. and stuff like this. And all of a sudden this radio show and people would stop, turn off everything and just get involved in this world. And it was a, it was a phenomenon. You know, and you know, and I think that some people kind of forget that there's this radio show phenomena that happened right in the middle of all this technology that started spreading out from everywhere before podcasts, even before what we were doing. I mean, this, yeah. you know, I mean, if this was done today, it probably would be like a podcast, really. He but... was doing that in Minnesota, so you know, yeah. in the beginning in 1974. So I believe it was and, 1974. Yeah, NPR rate and, and NPR radio. So. But I just remember, I mean, I think it was like in Time Magazine or Newsweek. And I just remember, you know, and I was living in this country at the time and we heard about it here and we were, you know, and I remember like people were like trying to figure out how they could listen to it over here. And they were, by that time, internet radio just started, so you started being able to pick up American stuff and people were over here were listening to it. Yeah, it was, I, I, I mean, I confess, I had no idea what a huge thing it was until I got involved in it. And at the time, um, I was told we had 3 million listeners each week. That was a lot. Um, you know, that was a lot. I mean, maybe it was more, but, uh, and, and there was also some, uh, there was a huge amount of funding uh, from the American Booksellers Association. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a pretty wild ride. It was pretty wonderful. And also- A radio, a radio drama in the middle. That's what it was, was a radio drama show. And- yeah. You know. Right. And then we did, um, I played this character of Gloria. Uh, Garrison wrote the story of Gloria. And I remember when we first met, uh, or what he did was he asked, when I went to California, he said, I want you to, I want to write this character, uh, but I, I want you to just talk into a tape recorder. So I guess he, he just, um you know he had that gift where he could 
just kind of um, incorporate my my cadence, my attitude, my inflections into um, into this character. How cool I, th that. I think what also what I liked about the show as well is that I'm a huge fan of Fanny Flag. You know, she wrote oh, gosh, Hot Five Green Tomatoes. Welcome, welcome to the girl. Welcome to the world, baby girl. Um, you know, Fanny, Fanny Faye, and and what that show always reminded me. And thing that I love about Fanny Flag is like I read her books, and I love her so much. And I'm, I, my heart breaks when I close the book, and it's not because something sad's happened, because I'm saying goodbye to old friends. Yeah. And that's what that's what the radio show reminded me is like when I would listen to it and you get involved in it and there's always like this message and there's kind of this woe be gone days that we've kind of lost, but you're kind of reinvent you're kind of re reexamining everything through this lens. But then when the show ended, you're like, oh, I'm saying goodbye to my friends. And that's what that show gave you. And I thought that was, well, it was very special. And I thought great Garrison Keller was able to be able to tap into that and not just write about it, but actually capture that to a place that we all want to live and want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. But very, you know, everything very, very human, you know, frailty, something sad would happen, but there's always, there's always this glimmer of light, no matter how dark the tunnel may be. There's always some joy to be had. Yeah. Right. And also what you had mentioned before, we uh, we were on the air. We were talking about the ability to laugh at yourself. Exactly. Which yeah. is so very important. Um, I have to say that the also the listeners, I, I stay in touch with a number of, of listeners. And do you really, I mean, this is a long, this is a long time ago. You know, when I was on the show, my, I, I, uh, I stopped appearing on the show when I had my first child in uh, 1993. Okay, so that's, and I'm still in touch with some people. That's how devoted a fan base there, there was and still is. For, that's got to make you feel good though. I mean, the people remember and, you know, and it's, it's got to be a humbling experience as well. It I is, mean, really. Truly, I, I'm. I just. I find it. I'm. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. But um, yeah, I. I do try to stay in touch, or, or at least acknowledge and respond to um, to people that that take the time to dig me up. You know. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, come on! I'm so cool. I'm so flattered. You me? Are you kidding me? You remember that song? <laughs> <laughs>
I want to touch up on some of the writing that you've done. Um, you did a lot of writing for the Thalia Follies. Well, how did you find the writing process? Did do you enjoy the writing process? I I just love it. Um, I I I mean, I wrote uh, parodies predominantly, and it gives me great joy to uh, to take a, a a song an already you know, fabulous known song and uh, to be able to scan my insane comedic lyrics over it uh, just brings me great joy. Also, um, it was kind of uh, easy in that I really knew my audience on the Upper West Side of New York City, <laughs> where I was living. So, you know, I just, I mean, that's so important when you write, right? You gotta know your audience. And exactly. so it was kind of a, it was a community thing. We just, we all, everybody's, uh, the, the performers and the audiences, you know, we were we were at, at one with each other, but that, that was a hoot. And, um, uh, you know, from time to time, if somebody asks me to to write something for them, I will. But I I do miss that. This little pig went to market. This little pig stayed home. other side of things which is the business side when you were started producing how did you find producing um i well this was like a, a an experiment really i i didn't i i thought that all of my experience as a performer would have something to do with my ability to um to be a producer and uh, I found that they're very, very different skills. Um, I am solid when it comes to um, executing a production. So you have a show, you've got the money, you want me to get it up on its feet, or I know how to do that. I know how to, to, to dot my I's, cross my T's, and get things done in a timely manner. However, <laughs> the real big part of producing is raising money. And I, that is not my gift. It's not my I gift. I know. <laughs> uh, right, is that hard for you to do? <laughs> yeah, it is very, very hard. <laughs> I don't like asking people for money. It makes me feel funny. 
It, it, it is kind of a feeling. Just, even, yeah. even when I loan people money, I, now I loan people money not expecting it back because I never want to ask for it back. Just for the simple fact that I find it difficult. So yeah. totally with you. But I, um, I actually, uh, so I went to um, a fantastic place uh, called uh, CTI, the Commercial Theater Institute, and it's um, Broadway producers teaching future oh producers and it was run by uh, Tom Vertel. Oh, that's the 14 week program, commercial theater. Yes, um, yes, yes, uh, uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, CTI is really an extraordinary place where you are exposed to the real deal people who are doing that, who are doing it, who are out there and, and taking these projects uh, you know, just from the idea stage of getting them financed and and produced on you know Broadway or on tour, it's it's just it's a phenomenal um, talent. And uh, I also I started working for two Broadway producers, uh, Jack W. Batman and Bruce Robert Harris. And they have, uh, they are Tony Award winners and they have a company um, called Sunny Spot and they took me under their wings and I learned a lot about um, producing from them. And so we produced together, we did a lot of concert series and then um, they had, uh, Jack had a wonderful idea many, many years ago about producing Broadway weddings and events and maybe this sounds wow. um maybe it's been done already you know for years but but he had this idea way back to bring what we do to people's personal events so we created um a lot of of course it costs a lot of money but you know there there are people who have that ability um in in new york city and want to do a smashing event so we would be hired to basically um create and produce these mini broadway shows for personal events so that was very satisfying i can imagine that my fellow family members who are also friends of dorothy probably would make a lot of benefit from you from that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've also done a lot of charity work as well. Uh, uh, I mean, you have worked for um, the AIDS foundations and stuff like that, raise money yeah. for them, raise money for various, a lot of different charity functions and yeah. stuff like that. And you helped, actually, I believe that you helped produce some of those and actually help organize those. How did you find that experience? Uh, that was also, that was a whole other, that was a, I wore a couple of different hats. That was, oh my goodness, down at the Winter Garden space, which is, um, this was all pre 9-11. Right. Uh, where I was hired uh, to do several seasons of uh, musical events down in that beautiful atrium filled with uh, palm trees. And um, I would 
So these are events that they were they were themed events. We'd either each year there would maybe I think we did something about the Gershwin Centennial. We did celebrating New York City and all the boroughs. I mean, you name it. You know, if you had if you had a theme, I'd be happy to make a, a musical series about it. So I would do the research and what it was free to the public. Um but I was able to bring in um, some charities as we, we were involved with um, Camp Broadway. Uh, and yes, with, um, with, we, did, with, we did raise money for, for HIV AIDS and um, uh, a couple of other uh, entities. And that was, you know, that was very gratifying. Yeah. I also want to touch on your New York summer music festivals that you perform every year for four weeks out of every summer. Uh, How do you, um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit of that? Uh, okay. I'm starting to sound very ADD, aren't I? I mean, I'm just all over the no, place. I'm, I'm asking because I am, I'm enthralled. It's me asking the question. It's me that wants to know something. Yeah, it's our fault. We're backtracking, going doing this. Yeah. Oh no, I sound. I'm just listening, to, you know, to myself talk, and I'm thinking, wow, you, boy, I've been all over the place. I can't sit still. Um, this was, uh, this is unfortunately the musical festival closed, but um, this uh, New York Summer Music Festival was held upstate on um, the campus SUNY Oneonta and um, oh, it was. part yeah. of the vocal faculty there for a couple of years. I was actually the head of the vocal factory. I like uh, vo vocal faculty, not faculty. I can't even talk. Faculty. 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 Thank you. Faculty. <laughs> because I like to say it. It makes me sound so important. And, um, and that was with uh, uh, tweens and teens and, and young adults. It was a conservatory level program. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I've done some teaching as well. And uh, that's always very joyful. I and I and from time to time, although I'm not teaching voice these days, uh, from time to time I'm I do go into high schools and colleges and and speak to uh, young people about the realities of this business mm -hmm. of of show business and how important it is to allow yourself to really have a full life to not just be so focused on on getting a job and believe me I was a very very focused person you know I I, I went through my early years of show business with blinders on like man I was gonna I was gonna be on Broadway that's it you know that's that that was my mindset but but then as you as you develop um in your life it's just important to as i say you know paint the whole canvas not you know there's no um there's no set trajectory in terms of life in the arts you know it's kind of maybe for a for for a select few they do have 
a trajectory where they are, they're here and they just go straight up into right. superstardom. But for the rest of us who are, you know, just kind of regular Joes, um, there are a lot of, a lot of bumps and, um, and it's really important that you, if you want to be in a relationship, if you want to be married, if you want to have children, you have to allow yourself to have a full life. That's good advice, though. I mean, that, that's realistic, too. And I mean, that's a lot of people. A lot of people probably need that because it's hard. I mean, I know well, people that, that have struggled and, and tried to get through with that kind of career, and it's, it's hard. Well, well I find, yeah. I find what, I mean, what my grandmother says is that you never know where life's going to take you, but whatever opportunities come your way, always say yes. The worst thing is if you fail, admit yeah. that you failed before anyone notices that you failed and then <laughs> move forward. But you should, because you just never know, because wow. at the end of the day, my grandmother says your life is a George Surratt painting. Yeah. Of course, all it is is a bunch of dots. But when you step away from it, those dots make a beautiful picture. Oh, wow. I, I would love to, to meet your grandma. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she's very wise. She taught me a lot. She taught me a lot of lessons. She taught me, there's, she taught me five basic lessons in life. It's like with the aid of demons, angels can be born. She goes, why never take the, never take the merry-go-round where you go round and round and up and down. Better take the roller coaster. You may throw up and make a fool out of yourself, but at least you're going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't go back to it yesterday sort of thing because no matter what you do you just keep going forward and right. always laughing always find the humor in every bad situation that you've been in because there's humor to be found in everything mm. and no matter where where you are in your life remember you're always in the storm cellar and you don't know what's happening when you're in the storm cellar because you're in the eye of the storm but once that tornado passes make sure you get out of the storm cellar and and basically trace that where that tornado's been and you pretty much trace where you are right now so and so these are things that she taught me and these are the kind of things i live through life with mm -hmm. so well i completely identify with always saying yes and that's something that i impart to to other people as well i say well okay don't always say yes if you have no idea how to do it but if you have a skill set okay you're maybe there are certain things that uh you know you have on the tippy top on the top of the pile and then you know it slowly goes down to the bottom if i know that that skill is somewhere in there but maybe it hasn't been at the top of the heap just yet but i know if, if it's in there and i am and i'm and i and i'm feeling um motivated and creative to to get this particular thing done you know i can reshuffle all my skills and and um and try and let something else shine and so yes i believe in saying yes if you believe in your heart that you can get something done i mean there are things where no i would be an idiot to say yes because i have no idea how to accomplish it but if but yeah. like putting know. a flat pack together no no it's not happening not happening but yeah i, I um you know and uh, um back to talking to young people uh or really people of any age you know who who can who still want to have a, a family i mean that's always been a big one uh a, a big 
question when I talk to people and I say, oh, really? Can I do that? And I say, well, yeah, but you know, you can't, you can't have everything. You can't, and you certainly can't have everything all at the same time. Right. But you, you only have one life as far as I know. And if there's something that you want to do, you have to take the time to do it. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I do question this. Uh, you know, I, I ask myself these questions all the time. I mean, if I, what would, what would it be like, you know, if I had opted out of having children? I mean, would, would I, would my career be in this extraordinary place? Would I, you know, have this celebrated status and, you know, but what, it, what is that at the end of the day? Well, you could end up like Amanda, um, who was married to Johnny Depp. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> you never know. You could have this great star, but then, you know, but there's plenty of great stars that seem to have something terribly lacking in their lives later on down the road. So well, everybody's so got their troubles. It's really weird. Yeah, we all do. It's just really weird. You don't know, do you? So, right. Um, Chicago's all right. It's got Marshall Field and Soldiers Field, and it's on a nice lake. But it hasn't got the handsomes in the park. It hasn't got the skyline after dark. That's why New York's my home. Let me never leave it. New York's my home, sweet home. San Francisco. San Francisco is a lovely place. It's got lots of hills and lots of thrills. And it's near an ocean of some size. But it hasn't got the Bowery or the Bronx. It hasn't got the Harlem hockey tongues. That's why New York's my home. It's my favorite city. New York's my home, sweet home. And I think that brings us to what you're doing now with your counseling. Yeah. Is there, are you a counselor or a therapist? Sorry, I didn't check that out. Well, you can call me whatever you want because I'm it's sort of the same thing. I mean, officially, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Sure. And um, several years ago, I, you know, I felt like my, you know, the opportunities to perform were decreasing. And also, I didn't really uh, have it in my heart to, you know, just pack my audition bag again. You know, it's like, Right. My tap shoes, uh, you know, hanging off the tap <laughs> shoes already. And uh, I thought, well, um, I do like school and I've, I've gone back to school a couple of times in my life for various things. And um, I thought, well, what, what can I do where I feel like I have I have some life skills that may, you know, that may count for something. And and it just happened that um uh, near where we live, there there was uh, a college that was starting a marriage and family therapy program, and I'm not sure what possessed me to sign up, uh, but but I did, and I did all as an experiment where I would take two courses each semester, and I think, well, okay, you know what, it really doesn't matter because you know, it's just an experiment. Mm -hmm. And then the good way I, to look at things, though. I love how you look at things. It's, it's, real, it's a good attitude. 
Well, you know, for this, it worked because it was so alien to anything I had ever done. I admit, I mean, Vicki, I can't do that with, you know, things pertaining to the arts. But for this, you know, since it was so different for me, I could I could do it because I felt like anything that I accomplish here, it's a bonus. And um, anyway, the next semester came and the semester after that, and then I thought, oh, wow, I think I'm doing this. I'm actually doing this. <laughs> so what I started to do was I tried to integrate my performing arts piece into this. So whenever I had the opportunity when I when I was when I had to write a, a paper or um, when it got around to writing my thesis, which I'm which I will tell you about momentarily, I tried to bring in my experience in the arts. And then when I realized I had to write a thesis in this program, you know, which scared the Jesus out thesis, of me. That, just the word thesis in undergrad school it just instills fear in one's heart. <laughs> right. And I said, what am I doing? You know, and at this age, I'm gonna, are you kidding me? So I I started to really look at all the things that all the stressors that I had experienced in in the performing arts. Things that I didn't really consider stressors, but now, now that I'm older, you know, we can give them a name. Right. And I started thinking about beauty constructs and the gender constructs and the and weight. You know, I've been on my own ass about my weight my entire life. You know, weight yeah. is such an issue. And um, and then we've got uh, financial instability and rejection, the auditions, the rejections, like, no, you don't have the, no, this is not your job. No, next girl, next girl, next girl, you're not but pretty. You must have had a tough skin. You must have to have a tough skin with all the rejection that comes with that. Yeah, well, you, yes, but you know, I think anybody in the arts cries a lot too. We have a tough skin, mm -hmm. but we just, you know, we, we cry, we suck it up and we go back again. Move on, yeah. So this was really the, the first time I ever, ever stepped out of myself and, and looked at this life that I had been living in the arts. And so that was, that became my, my thesis. And I, I um, uh, interviewed a lot of women in the theater and, and, and did a study about all of these stressors and how they, um, and their effect on um, psychological vulnerability or basically what they lead to, you know, what, uh, how it causes depression, how it might cause an eating disorder, might, might um, make you, uh, you know, just generally feel like crap about yourself. I mean, all these things, what, what this business can do to a person if they don't have the support that they need and then how it might manifest physically, right. emotionally. So that was very satisfying to, to figure out a way to, um, to make sense of it as a, as a performing, performing artist. Anyway, now I am, um, I'm working remotely and I'm counseling people at a clinic and I see individuals and couples. 
and excellent. Yeah. So I'm hoping though in the future, I would love to work with more artists. It's just that this particular um, place doesn't, you know, it's, they're not focused on, on artists, but I think that would, that might be. Streamline your profession is what you're saying. Yeah, or a way to well, you never know where that road is going to take you. No, you so, don't. Clearly. So. You know? And I always think, I mean, I don't know if there isn't a greater being or whatever, whatever that is. But um, but I think, it, you know, you go here and then it's, you know, you go, okay, I'm going to be here. This is what I'm going to do. And next thing you know, life put you somewhere else that, you know, it, it does lead you that. So, yes, I, I always thought that goes, okay. And now i always think to myself like you can always ask the worst thing anyone can ever say is no if that's the worst yeah. what's the big deal what stops you from going like what it, they can do beat you up all you can do well if, if anyone tells me no in my life i was like i'll show you i'm gonna do it now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well i just I mean, love I that that this is you know that you do this kind of work i mean you've been doing this for for wow. I've been doing this for 34 years now so yeah. so so I've been doing that for there but at the same time um this is not what I wanted to do I wanted to be a writer I went to um I I got a PhD in journalism as well as um forensic psychiatry well, he's done some want, writing he's being humble uh, over here I had a feeling I, I, I want I wanted to be a, I wanted to be the next John Irving I wanted to be like John Irving I wanted to be a writer to write novels tried it not very good but then i started writing scripts and then i got you know i did a lot of scripts for horror films and stuff like this and now i write dialogue for computer games as well now so my but it's not what i just not what i planned but it went this way and i'm happy with it but it's not what i planned but you know that's what i was saying about life you just never know where you might you might have this idea but it kind of goes this way and i'm happy with where it's gone so mm -hmm. so i get to do this and i get to do that and i get a little bit of this and you know just keep trying and if, if it's just as long as you're happy and see where it takes you i mean seriously you have to take your own happiness into account a lot of people say that's selfish but when you're a mom and then you're a grandma or you know keith's there for a lot of us all of us friends and stuff and it's just like you got to start taking time for yourself you really do or you're just not worth anything to anybody else if you don't keep yourself happy on some cellular level so right but then you you know as as you as you grow and change then you ask yourself well what what is happy what does that mean what does the happy word mean you know what yeah it, it keeps changing form it does i always I always think is that you should never really overthink as well sometimes overthinking or think or getting too into yourself can be a lot more damaging than thinking out more outwardly sort of thing you know, it's a bit like, um, I call it the bruise effect, um, which is what I tell my patients, it's the bruise effect. So if you keep active, chances are you'll get to where you want to go. If you stay stagnant and you stay little, it's like a bruise. If you get a bruise on your arm, it's fine until you notice it. Once you notice it, you feel your arm's going to fall off all of a sudden, even <laughs> though that bruise has been there all day long. But your brain starts, you know, looking at it and thinking about it, and it hurts more than, you know, and then we can do that internally. And I think that can be our worst enemy sometimes. So therefore it's like, yeah, it's, it's okay to reflect on yourself, but don't go too deep into that well sort of yeah. thing. Cause sometimes if you get too deep into, 
deep water is going to be kind of hard to get back up to the surface to breathe. So. No good comes out of overthinking things. I have learned that the hard way so many times. Like, well, why am I doing this to myself? You know, it's good to, you it's good to dip in and out. It. <laughs> it's good it's to dip like in and watching, out. It's sort of like watching The Exorcist alone, you know, when you're recovering <laughs> Catholic. You've been raised Catholic. You know, it's just like, why is this on? <laughs> you know, it's sort of like the same uh, thing to me. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to channel you when I, you know, I'm there like lying awake at night. You know, <laughs> questioning everything I've ever done. You know, two like, o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Everybody else is blissfully <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> but, you, but you know, you know what's funny? Um, and I'm not just saying this because we're interviewing you or to be nice or anything. But you know, all those things that you've done and everything that you what you talked about today has touched all of us in a certain way and and he have made a difference and even though they might seem like little jobs and there's like right. maybe five a splash in the pan in your life sort of thing but it brought but, joy you know, to some people i mean look at grace too i mean you probably never thought that when you put those pigtails on the glasses that there'd be somebody in london england and his friends <laughs> smiling from ear to ear or yeah. sesame street or you know or even the garrison keller um, performance or right i mean look and look what you meant to the people that you know just to come to london and see cool rider you know yeah. so, thank you yeah. that, that is very kind I, I do really appreciate that um and you know i i have uh as i've met people in the psychotherapy world i've tried to um explain the the similarities in in the field and um maybe you don't people don't see it at first glance but so much of my life as a performer has been um well i've, I've always attempted to be authentic uh you know some most of the time i hope that i have been um and it's just you and even if you're in you know, you're singing in front of 5,000 people, you're singing to one person, you know, and if one, if, if you reach one person and you have some sort of emotional exchange and that person leaves the theater slightly changed, slightly altered, like they're, they have a slightly different perspective on something then I've done my job. And that's really the same thing in, in psychotherapy. We can't, I, 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 I can't cure anybody. I can't, I can't wave my magic wand and, and make terrible things go away. But if I can be authentic and hopefully, um, you know, give somebody space where they they gain a different perspective on something, then we're, I'm kind of doing the same thing. So that's, uh, it's very similar. Yeah, it's, it's extremely similar because at the same time, anytime that you touch a person, no matter how, how way you touch them, emotionally or you know um spiritually or you know or mentally it it changes them it changes one little 
atom. It might change a little atom, but that atom will change more and more. And before you know it, they they're on the road to whatever the wherever they're going to go. And and I think that we talked before earlier that the magic word in therapy is the word and. That's what I that's what I use with all the patients. They go on and go and no. and, what, and, and, then, and they go what do you think I go it's not important what I think it's what you think <laughs> and, you know and, and they're, they're always surprised by that because it's like I don't have the answers you right. have the answer you do I'm you have the answer and I'm here just to listen you know you know so but I'm not a, you know I'm, I know I can I can prescribe but I'm not a very big, big person I'm prescribing I try not to because it's like um, you know unless it's a chemical imbalance that's something different but if you're depressed I'm not going to write you an antidepressant because you need to figure out why you're depressed because I'm not going to mask it for you, you know, but I'll be here if you need me. I'll be here and listening to you and we'll get to the bottom of it eventually. Might not be today. It might be a year from now. It might be a decade from now, but life's about reconciliation. You know, it might take you five years to get into that middle of the tunnel, but at least there'll be a light five years later on. So it's up to you. So. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos brochures or whatever you can dream of amazing designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise try amazing designs today contact them by email at amazing designs 505 at gmail.com that's amazing designs 505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at country code one 805-203-0427. We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. But I'd rather be different than be the same. But, so what I think we'll do is I want to thank you for joining us on the Literary License Podcast, Ivy. And thank you so much for everything that you've done and sharing everything with us today. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for inviting me and um, just just creating this just welcoming, fun environment. And um, as I said, it's, it's kind of a strange thing to be interviewed about your career where, you know, when you're just sitting around on a daily basis, it's like, oh, that's just some stuff I did over the, you know, past four decades. But, um, but this has been very renewing because you, you, you really brought to the fore that people are actually out there listening and responding. You, and, you, you do have impact and people do remember, you yeah. know, and, and there are people out there that that enjoyed your performances and you did touch people. And I think people need to be reminded every so often of things like that. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it more than you know. So thank you for, for this lovely time. And um, let me know how it all turns out. Sure will we'll do. So it's good night for myself. Good night, Vicki. Good night, everybody. Take care of each good, other. Good night, Ivy. Good night. Thank you.
And we'll see you next week. If just one person believes in you, deep enough and strong enough believes in you, hard enough and long enough before you knew it, someone else would think if he can do it, I can do it. Making it Strong enough, believe in you. Hard enough and long enough, there's bound to be some other person who believes in making it ugly, some making it bleed. People you can say, believe in me. of a dog, but after all, who is? Be the dog and the log and the kite and the light and the tree and the bee and the cow and the